It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no peace. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Next fire in the fire, Mr. Simpson's other gangs in the government for hiring the combat site. Break it wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And bloom. Bloom. But mostly colors right now. Yes, that's right. If bloom all of colors. colors all over the place <laughs> here in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a last line of latitude in a lackadaisical world. I'm Joel MD, also known as Dr. Bones of DoomandBloom.net, where you'll find a thousand, a thousand, wow. Post videos and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy, and I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And we are, together, we are the gang of two. We are the prodigious pair, the queen and the codger. Oh boy, we are all sorts of stuff, (laughs) but we are here specifically to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a churlish chipmunk? Well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only, and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge our audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but when times are tough, what's your strategy when someone gets hurt or injured? Are you going to be a bystander and, well, stand by? Or or are you going to show the world that you got more sense than a barrel full of bullfrogs by learning what to do for injuries and illness in times of trouble? And you know what? While you're at it, you might as well get some supplies and a medical kit to go along with all that knowledge. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle the medical issues you'll face in just about any disaster. And they're designed by me, an old country doctor, (laughs) and her, an advanced registered nurse practitioner extraordinaire. Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff. Please do. And just ask anybody 
that's ever bought one. And you'll agree, our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. Hey, you know, we learned as much from you as you do from us. So give us a go, G.I. Joe. Reach out to the queen and the codger. And it's easy. And here is the lovely Nurse Amy to tell you how. Yes, you can email us anytime at drbonespodcast at AOL.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. A like and follow our Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, DR Bones Nurse Amy. Absolutely. Hey, you know, in these days of smartphone distractions, you're going to be seeing more and more people just plain old oblivious of their surroundings. In the past, that might get you just a bump on the head because you walked into a lamppost. But you know what? In today's world, it can cost you your life. The New York City vehicular attack that killed eight and injured a number of others is just the latest in a number of incidents by people that are deranged, disgruntled, politically motivated. My gosh, these events occur with little warning, yet being situationally aware could prevent you from becoming a victim of some future terror event. Now, situational awareness is something that you may not have heard of. It involves understanding the factors in your immediate vicinity that might possibly represent a threat to you. Now, I'm not talking about secondhand smoke here. I'm talking about real serious dangers that you can avoid with some rapid action. Now, vehicular terrorism, that is not new. You know, Israel has been the scene of multiple attacks like this in, wow, in past decades. Uh, And it's becoming, unfortunately, more and more common in the West with attacks in New York City, uh, London, Nice, France, Berlin, all just a bunch of other places. Uh, matter of fact, at Ohio State University, a Somali-born student actually used his car to run over several people and then started stabbing those who actually came over to see if the poor guy was injured. How about that? Well, you know what? Many similar events like this have occurred, but you rarely hear them on the news. And so this is something that you just have to watch out for This is a big issue. Now, why vehicular terror? Why use a vehicle as opposed to bombs and guns? Well, you know what? Even though you most often associate, I guess, terror attacks with bombs, making a bomb requires some expertise to assemble safely without blowing yourself up. And guns, which are the other preferred weapon, well, they might be difficult to come by in a lot of countries other than the U.S., Unless the U.S. left some behind and they just picked them up. Yes, that's right. Well, like, so like crazy. ISIS did. Uh, yes. yes, yes. Them driving around in our trucks and using our weapons is just so horrifying. Right. Now having to actually use airstrikes to try uh, to to try to destroy our own stuff. Our own equipment, right. Ay, ay, ay. Well, I'll tell you that owning or renting a vehicle is actually... Pretty easy. As long as you're 25 years old. Right. You have a, a, a easy way to have a weapon of mass destruction at your very fingertips or right in your garage. Well, the thing is you don't have to actually prove why you're renting a car. There's no questionnaire that says, uh, do you now or have you ever thought about harming someone with the vehicle you're about to rent? Right. Uh, have you now or in, have you in the past harmed anyone with a vehicle yes do you adhere to some extreme philosophy do you consider yourself a true-blooded american yes or no do you follow american (laughs) laws yes or no 
Do you feel some other rules or laws are higher than the American rules and laws that we like, have? Like Sharia law. There's no... Well, I mean, you're not really saying that, but right. you're asking the question like, dude or miss, are you trying to hurt somebody with this truck? How do you... How do you get that information? I mean, usually the clerks at the desk of the car rental company, they're just doing their job. They're processing a credit card. They're Right. They're make, not part of the Department just, of Homeland Security. No. They're just trying to get enough information so that if this car disappears, they can try to find you. Exactly. I mean, that really is what they're trying to do. They, they're not interested in why you want to rent the vehicle. There's, I'm sure there's not a single question. Maybe in... A little conversation while the credit card is being processed, they might say, hey, are you moving? Or, you know, like as a friendly conversation, but there's no no attempt to find out if somebody's trying to do something bad with the truck. Because honestly, 99.99999% of people who rent cars or trucks are just doing a job. They're, yeah, they're not doing it because they want to hurt somebody. They're doing it because they, for whatever reason, maybe they're car's broken or they need something larger to move something and they're doing it because they have to sure because they just want to go spend money on a rental car right well we <laughs> rent cars all the time right. when we travel uh, we to don't different have a places car there. talking right. about medical preparedness we need it so it, it, this is this going to become like a tsa thing where you have to go through like a metal detector and a lie detection test and an X-ray, <laughs> like it seems ridiculous. What are you right? going to have to do to rent a car? And and that's going to annoy the ninety nine point nine 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 percent of us who are just trying to get a car and get the heck out of there. We're not trying to hurt somebody. So you know, it's a rock and hard place with these. Rent a car places, but the problem is, what is do that they do? The problem is, is that their products, trucks and cars, can are cause, a weapon. Yes, they can cause mass casualties. I know. And obtaining one just isn't an act that evokes a lot of suspicion. Now, early this year, uh, an article that was titled "Just Terror Tactics" was published by the English language ISIS magazine called Rumia. And it described which vehicles will cause the most damage and called for attacks on Western crowds. As a matter of fact, uh, ISIS leader al-Baghdadi recently called for people in Western countries to go ahead and use this specific method. I mean, it's a simple idea. There's not much involved in its preparation. I mean, the article uh, basically said that all you needed was willingness to give one's life for Allah. Now, the article also said, pick your location and timing carefully. Go for the most crowded locations. Uh, narrower spots are also better because it gives less chance for people to run away. And to avoid locations where other vehicles might possibly intercept you. They also said to achieve maximum carnage. They actually said that word. Oh my goodness. Uh, you need to pick up as much speed as you can while still retaining good control of your vehicle in order to maximize your inertia. Wow, ISIS cares about inertia. And be able to strike as many people as possible in your first run. Uh, this writer uh, also suggested attackers weld steel blades onto the front of an SUV. That, like Sort of like Road Warrior. Uh, they, they don't need to be extra sharp because with the speed of the truck at the time of impact... This even, is horrible. Now listen to this stuff. Even a blunter oh edge gosh. would slice through bone very easily. You may raise the level of the blades as high as the headlights. This makes the blade strike your targets at the torso level or higher. I mean, this is just horrific stuff, right? And these tactics represent 
the new blueprint among terrorists for causing mayhem. And few people pay much attention to this kind of thing. How much time do you spend paying attention to traffic? If you're a pedestrian, that is. I mean, unless you're crossing the street. Uh, You know, the speed at which a vehicle can accelerate and turn into a crowd leaves little time for reaction. So, therefore, the success rate, quote-unquote, if I can put success, call it success, uh, rate of this type of terror event can surpass even a gunman's ability to cause deaths and injuries. Now, I advocate for a constant state of yellow alert whenever you're in a public space. And by that, I mean a calm, calm, but vigilant observation of what's happening around you. Look for anomalies in behavior that might warn you of nefarious intentions. For example, uh, hopping up and down and screaming, that might be normal at a rock concert, but it is an anomaly, an anomaly Mm -hmm. at a place like Starbucks or inside a movie theater. Now, this attitude is very useful, but it's just still difficult to respond quickly enough to avoid an oncoming car or truck. I mean, when a vehicle moves erratically or leaves a normal pattern of traffic, you have to look at it and say, uh-oh, that's an anomaly, and it may require quick action. And so you have to always, mental, as you're traveling along the street, mentally note routes of escape whenever you're in public, and that'll give you the best chance of escaping. Just knowing the locations of exits, exits in a mall or a theater is good policy, well, sure enough, just as that's important, a heightened awareness is now important at any public area that's near a roadway. Now, for vehicular terrorists, the target's going to be crowds of people near the street. They want mass casualties, and these pedestrians that are nearest the curb, you know, if you're going to be near the curb, you're going to bear the brunt of the attack. So always consider walking on the fringe of a crowd away from the road, away from the road, to give yourself the most options. Now, you have to remember that if you're in the center of a mass of people, Remember that those masses, not your own good judgment, can might wind up dictating your movement. Now, municipalities, you can protect your citizens from vehicular terrorism by constructing barriers known as bollards. These stop vehicles from entering pedestrian areas. I'm sure you've seen them uh, from place to place. Now, these can be seen outside of, also, by the way, government buildings, airport terminals. You'll see a bunch of them all over. Now, if you can expand their use to areas that attract crowds, well, you know, in your town or in your city, that might be an important consideration for the future given these uncertain times. And I'm not the only one thinking about how to deal with vehicular terror. You know that the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, these guys think about it all the time. They issued a release uh, lately warning of vehicular terrorism and how to identify an imminent attack And this release acknowledged the time issues in reacting to such events. But they do want you to look for these things. They want you to look for unusual modifications to vehicles, any frontal reinforcement of a vehicle, for example. Um, They want uh, people, to, especially people who work for rental agencies, to notice that if people are renting large or heavy-duty vehicles, is there a lot of nervousness during the transaction? Do they pay only in cash? Are they, are they not really familiar with the op- operation of the vehicle? Well, these are things that you might really need to know if you're going to be working at one of these companies. Now, commercial motor vehicles or heavy equipment that are being operated in unusual locations, such as particularly heavy pedestrian areas, well, you know, those are anomalies in my opinion if you see you know a a 18 wheeler uh driving 
along uh, places like Times Square. I mean, it does happen, but, you know, you got to sort of take a look at it and, you know, make sure that you know that there are no bad intentions there. Uh, if you see any attempts on the part of these vehicles to approach areas that are closed to traffic, such as street festivals or farmers markets, things like that, well, that's something that should warn you that there may be they may be up to no good. Now, sometimes the vehicle operator is going to clearly be obviously unsure how to operate his vehicle. He may not uh, have much experience with gear shifting and things like that. That is definitely something that you need to see if you can figure out. If you can, then that person is somebody you should avoid. Now, I'll admit that the likelihood you're going to be in the path of a terrorist using a vehicle or really any other weapon, that's probably pretty small. I mean, and so I don't want this to be a, you know, fear-mongering, panic uh, type of segment here where I'm telling you you're going to die. You're, you're very unlikely to ever come up against this. But, you know, these are troubled times, and the more situationally aware you are, the safer you're going to be. Absolutely. Well, you know, just a little personal note for myself. My daughter actually works in lower Manhattan, right where... Um, this guy drove down the road and hit everybody. Actually, it was a bicycle path. And her break, because she works from 11 to 8 every day, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m., is between 3 and 4 p.m. Eastern Time, which is pretty much exactly when this guy drove down that street and killed eight people. She was supposed to walk on that street. That is the street she takes, that side path is where she walks to go to her lunch so the but timing she, was a little different she, well not just the timing she was going to go there she would have been there at the time that it happened but she needed to go get halloween supplies because it was october 31st because she was having a party and so she went a different way while it was happening my gosh i well, know you know these are things that Right there. You have to realize that you may not be safe just walking down the street anymore, <coughs> especially in places like New York City. So this is something that is super, super important. Last time we talked, by the way, about uh, pain medications. And so I want to just go a little further into that. We talked about schedules of drugs. I don't know if you remember, but uh, if uh, Schedule 1 drugs are the ones that are the most... Um, dangerous i guess they're legal to possess matter of fact schedule one drugs are like heroin and things like that so they don't have an accepted medical use they have a really high abuse potential clearly unsafe so heroin's a pretty good example it goes all the way down to schedule five schedule five drugs have a, a relatively low abuse potential do have an accepted medical use and they have little potential for addiction so for example lamotil uh, which is an anti-diarrheal medicine is sort of a classic example uh, things like Xanax or Prozac, they may also uh, be part of, let's say, a Schedule 5. And things like morphine would be maybe Schedule 2 or Schedule 1. Morphine essentially is very, very similar to, to heroin in terms of the way it is uh, built chemically. So let's talk a little bit about the types of pain medicines that you may want uh, to know about. There are different types of pain. Of course, there's... Uh, 
nociceptive pain we mentioned last time. That's the pain caused by tissue damage. So damage due to trauma or damage due to disease, tissue destruction from cancer, things like that. Those are things that uh, are cause nociceptive pain. And that pain is usually described as sharp or stabbing, worsens with movement. So, you know, if it only hurts when you laugh, you got nociceptive pain. Then there's neuropathic pain. It hurts when you yeah, laugh. Yeah, You're right. so funny. Neuropathic pain is a pain that's uh, transmitted through the nerves from the, uh, pain signals from the damaged area to the brain. And in damaged nerves, the sensation you may feel may not be so much pain necessarily, but could be pins and needles. It could be uh, numbness. It could be burning. When you when you if you feel burning sensations when you put your hand on ice for a while, well you that might be a sample of neuropathic pain, example of neuropathic pain. You might even feel pain in a limb that has been amputated. So one of those ghosts. Phantom. Phantom. Phantom pain. Right, exactly. <clears throat> and of course, there's always psychogenic pain. People call that all in the mind, but you want to know something. You know, it's true that fear, depression, anxiety, other emotions sure can play a part in people's pain, but as you know, the medic, don't really ever dismiss a group member's complaints of pain without fully evaluating them just to be sure. So, uh, you know what my theory is on that? What? People who are sad for any reason, whether it's something that just happened or they have some chemical imbalance, I think they feel things more um, easily. Sort of like the princess in the pea. Yeah, so their that pain nor- threshold may be lower. Exactly, that they might have slept on a bed of peas their whole life, but suddenly they became sad about something, and they just feel it. Now they feel each and every one of them. So, might have some might be a factor. Yeah, it's like it's like you're living with a broken arm for twenty years, and then suddenly something sad happens, and now you feel it, but you didn't feel it for the first twenty years. So, it's not that. They didn't have the pain. It's just maybe your body wasn't responding to it the same way. Right, exactly. You know, we all have our reactions to things. Some people have terrible pain and they just sort of wince and uh, grunt a little bit. And others scream at the top of their lungs, like me. (laughs) (laughs) We know when you're in pain. Although I will say, if the pain's really, really, really bad, that you'll notice I don't say anything, do I? You say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And I don't respond, do I? Right. I just shut down. Just internalize it and don't say anything. So everyone responds to different aches and pains, and, and yet I'll get a paper cut, and I'll be like, ow! You know? <laughs> like, so just everyone's different, and, and some days you feel things differently than you do the next day. You know, a, a hip pain that you know you've kind of had for a year or two or 20 years, some days you feel it more than others. That's very and true. And it could have something to do with your emotional state that day. So just because someone didn't have pain before, they start complaining about it, but you notice they're they're just sad about something. They're just more sensitive. It's it's just my thoughts on I it. I think I and they make perfect sense. Now, of course, you're going to want to have some medicines available for pain. The easiest to stockpile would be non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like NSAIDs, N-S-A-I-D-S. 
These are drugs that act to not only deal with pain, but they can also drop fevers. They can also decrease inflammation. So these are probably the most popular. You've heard of ibuprofen, I'm sure. You've heard of aspirin, certainly. Um, naproxen, that's another uh, NSAID that's available without a prescription. And so you probably get uh, a better, quick, in my opinion, a quick act acting uh, pain relief from ibuprofen or aspirin as opposed to naproxen. Naproxen may not have an effect until you've taken a couple of doses, but for long-term relief, that naproxen actually might be better. So you might consider having some of, uh, some of both. Another thing that I've read is actually that ibuprofen can help people go to sleep easier because what happens is it relieves just those little little aches that are sort of making you toss and turn. Right. And if you just, and I don't mean a lot, if you just take one or two and totally normal dose of ibuprofen and not obviously every single night forever can help you get some sleep. Now, there are people who take aspirin, like you take aspirin mm-hmm. on, on a daily, daily basis. basis. Right. So the aspirin might actually help you fall into a sleep a little bit better, at least initially. Yeah, so if you are the, the kind evening. of person, right. So if you're the kind of person that has aches and pains a lot and have trouble sleeping, well, you know, consider maybe an ibuprofen or something like that. Instead of going for those sleep medicines, right, which for- a lot of people have issues with when they try to wake up. Right. Even Benadryl Yo. will give you almost like a hangover the next day. Right. Exactly. So they right. have uh, over the counter medicines that are sleep aids that are either. Tylenol and Benadryl, or I think ibuprofen makes one too. But I know there's Tylenol PM, and I think ibuprofen has one too. But it may not be necessary to to go there. And I know it's over the counter, and everyone thinks, well, it's over the counter, it's no big deal. But you know, there are effects with medicines over the counter too. So always consider that. Take the least amount. And and single products. I don't, I'm not real crazy about combo products. Right, because like if you have a reaction, medicine. you don't know what you're having exactly. a reaction against. And, you know, some people are really sensitive to things like Sudafed. It makes their heart race. Um, some of these things have caffeine in them, obviously not the sleep medicines. <laughs> but, you know, Let's some hope. of the headache medicines have caffeine in them. And you've just had a couple cups of coffee and you say, wow, I still have a headache. And you end up having so much caffeine, you think you're having a darn heart attack. Absolutely. So for me, I like single ingredient products. That's just a little side note. And I think that's, again, you know what? You're really putting out a <laughs> lot of pretty good advice this time around. <laughs> well, anyhow, uh, so consider that, you know, th- these drugs especially are, are useful in injuries that are associated with swelling or other signs of inflammation. Um there are a number of different prescription versions of these. You have to remember, though, that long-term use of this stuff is associated with bleeding and other symptoms that are related to your GI tract. You I, might I'm going to go mo- move okay. the bird a little bit. She's okay. we have still a, creating some Oh, nesting. we have a parrot. She. We have a parrot that we decided. Oh, she's in the box. We realized that was a, we realized our parrot was a female after recently 30 after 30 years when she laid an egg. Now she's first, uh, laid six of them. And she's laid six. Hopefully she's so, done. Yes. That's supposed to be three. Plenty of eggs. Supposed to be three Thank to you. five. She's up to six. Right. Well, you know, a dozen eggs would be... <laughs> <laughs> we got a half dozen. <laughs> They're right. so cute, though. They're so little. Uh-huh. They are cute. Uh, well, anyhow, uh, acetaminophen is another med- pain medicine. Not an anti-inflammatory, but it does help lower the pain. 
pain threshold, changes the body's sensitivity to things that cause pain, and also lowers fever. You've probably used it on your kids in the past. Um, this drug's pretty effective for pain. It has fewer side effects, too. So pretty useful. It's probably not so much good for arthritis it is, as it is for maybe aches and pains for uh, related to colds and fevers related to call, colds. Uh, acetaminophen, by the way, Tylenol, should not be used in people that have problems with their livers. Now, other people use steroids. Steroids exert their effect upon pain with a very strong anti-inflammatory action, but are not related otherwise to NSAIDs. Now, the most common steroids are used for inflammation are prednisone, cortisone. These, I'm sure you've heard of these. They can be taken orally. Sometimes they can be injected directly into damaged or inflamed joints. Uh, Long-term use of these steroids, though, is a whole mess because it's got a whole bunch of side effects. It changes the way you look. It changes your whole body type, and it should be avoided unless it's absolutely necessary. But short courses of steroids are used to deal with inflammation with a lot of different diseases. Now, people that have problems related mostly to their muscles, well, those folks uh, might benefit from a muscle relaxant. Now, that's a prescription medicine like Flexeril, and it is very useful to relax tense and damaged muscles and also has a little bit of a sedative effect. Very useful, especially for people that have back strains or other injuries like that or, or shoulder, they're getting over a shoulder dislocation or something that causes muscle spasms. So that's very useful. And of course, there are always opioids. Now we're really moving up the ladder here. Narcotics are used for pain in severe cases, act by modifying the pain signal transmission in the brain. Now, if you've had surgery, you probably have been given these medicines for pain relief during your recovery. So anyhow, these are just some of the various medications that you could have. But there are some circumstances that you might be able to use other things. Of course, some of these drugs are by prescription only, right? And it's unlikely you're going to be able to stockpile large quantities of any of this stuff other than, let's say, Advil, uh, Aleve, Tylenol, things like that. So it's important to know about natural alternatives that you might have for pain relief. We're going to talk about um, natural pain relief right now in, in a long-term situation. You know what? Let's not wait. Hold on. We're gonna. I want to talk first yes. about something that you've done recently. <laughs> the video. You know, we're going to talk about natural pain relief before we're done. Okay. But I want to talk about if we a have video. Time. <laughs> we want, uh, we're going to talk about a video that you did recently, and it talks about disaster supplies. And what made you decide to do? a video on this topic. Oh my gosh. Um, Harvey and Irma. The Harvey cu- and Irma. The, the, the couple we love to hate. <laughs> <laughs> First there was Harvey and then there was Irma. And I thought, you know, it, it's just been a while since Floridians had had a severe disaster that, I mean, really it affected all of Florida, pretty much all of Georgia. Had it hit parts of South Carolina, North Carolina, and went all up into Tennessee. I mean, and then we had Harvey over there in Texas that just sat there and sat there and then went over to poor Louisiana. I mean, so many people were affected within a super short period of time. And a lot of people were just caught unaware because it's normalcy bias. It's not going to hit me or it's not as... It's not going to be as bad as they say. And this this is a problem with watching the Weather Channel when something's approaching, like a hurricane. Everyone says, oh, well, it's not going to be bad. I'm not going to worry about it. It's probably going to turn. It's going to dissipate. And it's just going to, 
not be as bad as they say it is. So a lot of people don't get prepared or they've never been prepared, so they don't even know where to start. So they just sort of say, eh, I'll, you know, I'll figure it out. And then others panic and go buy all, all kinds of stuff, but they don't really know what they're supposed to get. So there are some at least important things, and I'm sure most of our listening audience knows this, but for those who may, might be new to disaster preparedness at least, not prepping, prepping preparedness is a whole nother level of preparedness. Disaster preparedness is the baby steps. Right, even if you don't believe in prepping necessarily, (laughs) you you definitely should believe in disaster preparedness. That's right, that's right. This is the, everyone in the world needs to do this, and then if you want to take it further, that's great, but at least start here. So what would be one of the first things? Well, in the video, of course, I review water. We need ways to uh, store water, containers. We need ways to purify it, filter it, boil it. Um, and some of the products that I show, uh, one of them is a water brick, which is, holds, I think it's three and a half gallons of water. It's food grade safe, so it doesn't have any BPAs, so it's not going to leach any harmful toxins into the water while it's being held. And they stack up pretty nicely. They're kind of cool. Yeah, you I can sh- make an igloo out of it if in cold, <laughs> in cold right? weather. You can make a freeze. shelter, right? Yeah, you can make a shelter. You can make that's a- true. If you had right. enough of them. Enough of them, you can make an igloo. <laughs> that is true. That's absolutely true. Um, I show some bleach, and we do mention that, and again, I'm sure most of you folks out there know this, use 16 drops of regular household bleach. Don't use the scented or smelly ones that now have, like, lavender bleach. Oh, and... <laughs> smells so good. So don't use those for purifying your water. But per gallon, you can put 16 drops of bleach, um, mix it up, and then let it sit for 30 minutes. And then you might want to shake it up to aerate it. It makes the bleach taste go away right. a little bit. I mean, it... if, if you're used to city water, you may be used it, to it. It might not anyhow, bother but... you whatsoever. But I, if you've got well water, I'll guarantee you will oh, notice Oh, sure. If you drink taste. a lot of spring and mineral waters, yeah. absolutely. So, you know, that's something to to know because after a disaster, the water coming out of the tap might look okay, but it might not be okay, and you might have to get water from other sources. Sure, water treatment plants might have overflowed, you know, all sorts of things. So, you know, one thing I had not put on the table during that video, which you guys are going to hear and uh, most of you probably know this already there's something called steripen mm-hmm. uh steripen is a company that makes these uv water purifiers and they're handheld and most of them are probably mm, i'd say five to seven inches real lightweight uh-huh. that's important real easy to use they're really for a glass of water each each time you use it, you're using it in a glass of water. You can put it directly in the glass of water. You put it right in a glass of water. Now, the one thing about the water is it has to be clear. So if you have cloudy water, muddy-looking water, you have to filter that water. You have to get the debris out. It has to look clear. It doesn't have to be drinkable yet, but it has to look clear because the UV light has to be able to get to um, all the little... Right. H2O particles. <laughs> right. It has did. to get around all the water so it can kill everything. It has to right. be able to see it to kill it. If you can't see it, it can't kill it. All right. Now, you did show some water filters, too. We did. We did. We showed, um, I have here, the Sawyer, which filters 100,000 gallons. Wow. And it 
it, the interesting thing is they don't have expiration dates. That's what I love about these. Well, I mean, 100,000 gallons. How long is it going to take you to drink 100,000 gallons? You know, Probably more in your lifetime. On, right. I can't, I I can't imagine that I've drunk 100,000 gallons. And well, there's super I reasonable. I actually have this as one of the few things that I I actually personally sell on store.doomandbloom.net mm-hmm. is the Sawyer filters. Uh, another thing that I had on the table is also Life Straws. Life Straws is kind of a, a PR company. If you buy one, supposedly they donate one. So right. they filter less. Right. They filter 264 gallons. gallons per filter. Again, no expiration date. Super easy to use. Um, so that's another Good to one. have. And very lightweight. You know, um, I will say one thing about SteriPan. They're getting harder to find because Catadin which is another high-end water filter company. You might consider one of those instead of a Sawyer or a Life Straw or get them all, um, bought this company. So they oh. bought SteriPen. So it's going to be interesting to find out how they're going to integrate it in, yeah. integrates, or what they end up doing because SteriPen went all over the place. They have, I have four different brands or, or types of SteriPens. They had all these different names, but they all basically did the same thing. So I bought them through Amazon and just wiped out the stock. <laughs> I'm, like, okay. I'm like, God, these are really hard to find. I can't. I don't know what happened. Then I realized they had sold the company. That's why. So we've talked about water mm. for the most part. And of course, you're going to need ways to boil the water. So uh, let's talk about some heat sources. I should talk about food next. But you're going to need some waterproof matches um, put them in a waterproof container just because they say waterproof doesn't mean they're completely waterproof. Lighters are great, little big lighters. Even if you don't smoke, put a handful of big lighters away. And believe me, when you need to light a fire, you'll be much happier to have one of those uh, than some matches. And there's also magnesium fire starters. There's all right. kinds of fire starters, but you want to have multiple choices. So that's a handful of those. And you want to have something to be able to boil the water on cook on something that's not just a pile of wood because you don't want to set anything on fire. So you could consider something that um, I have a volcano stove. Mm -hmm. We also have a hibachi. Right. Well, those are good to have, but you also need something to hold the water. And so that if people are going out into the wilderness, for example. Yes, but uh, we're talking about disaster supplies. Ah, okay. At home. (laughs) All right. Well, at home, you probably have... We're not doing a camping trip here. All right. We probably have pots and pans at home that you could use as containers. Otherwise... I I highly recommend Lodge cast iron pots and pans. You cannot go wrong with Lodge brand cast iron. Well, you'll be passing that down to your children and their children. So we mentioned a, volca- a volcano stove, which you can use charcoal, you can use wood. Um, they even have a hookup for propane if you wanted to do that. Hibachis, of course, is wood or charcoal. And then there's um, another one that we have called Echo Zoom. Oh, yeah. We have the Dura brand. There's another brand, another type that I forget the name of. But that one you can also use wood or charcoal. And, of course, there's solar ovens. Right. Like a sun oven. Absolutely. Yes. So you don't need any charcoal or wood whatsoever. So sun ovens are awesome. Again, this is you know some bulky equipment and for home. We're not talking about camping or your three-day kit here. So ways to boil water and cook food. 
we talked about the pots and pans. So let's talk about food for a little bit. Um, make sure you have, you know, they say three day. I I, I would That's really so arbitrary. Honestly, I'd have enough for seven to ten days. Anybody that, that has really gone through a disaster and had a knockout of their electricity for a period of time, some of these people for two, four weeks longer don't have electricity. So you want some non-perishable foods. Don't go buy a whole bunch of loaves of bread. <laughs> right. That isn't going to get you very far. Crackers are a better selection right. for your for Probably your bread type. Absolutely. Longer, Dry right? crackers, protein, fruit bars, um, definitely ready-to-eat canned meats. Right. Uh Peanut butter, get an organic, 100% peanut butter, so you're not getting all kinds of junk mixed in it. Um, Vegetables, and make sure you have a manual can opener. Uh, Most of us have electric now, and you just don't even think about having a manual so much. So throw one of those in the the back of your silverware drawer, and hopefully you can forget about it. But uh, you should have it. Some other foods that you might consider having uh, that last a long time, dried food. Dried fruits last a long time. Um, definitely all kinds of different nuts and canned juices. You get those little pineapple juices yes. that are so good and apple juice. Uh, non-perishable pasteurized milk. They sell that in boxes and cans. Right. So sure, you can still milk. have mm-hmm. milk. Absolutely. And you can buy cereal. Um, dry cereal doesn't go bad very quickly. So cereal is fine. High energy foods. Um, of course, if you have children, little kids, make sure you have their little snacks. Hopefully, they're in uh, long term storage. They're not just gonna go bad in the next day or two. <clears throat> so make sure they're bottled or canned properly for long term. And sometimes stress food, something that you just want to munch on. I think in the video I said don't get Snickers bars, but you know what? <laughs> If you want to store some candy bars, fine. Now, listen. Yes. Long term, though, there are some pretty useful items that you can keep around that are food items that are simple. I just add boiling water to, like freeze-dried foods and things like that. And there are a yeah, lot of different companies. Yeah, they're good for companies. 30 years. Yeah, uh, right. They 25 last, to 30 years. Right, they last in a super long time. And that way, you don't have to worry about rotating out some things. You might want to just... Get some of these and have them available. They're usually in packets that you can actually eat from the packet. Right. Just add boiling water inside the <clears> packet. <throat> it's waterproof, and, and you just eat it right from there. They For have sure. some that are multi-meal, multi-portion, so those are really useful as well. Mountain House has them and a number of other places. I think Wise Foods. Wise Foods, uh, Mary Jane Farms. Thrive, Thrive is another yeah, one. Lot. Thrive, sure. We have good friends at Thrive. Oh, Mary Jane Farms. Those taste really good. So they're, but I don't think they last quite as long as No, they're supposed others. to be 15 years. I yeah. So, yeah, so absolutely, that food mm-hmm. is part of the I'm deal. not even a tenth through this list, just so you know. <laughs> All right, well. I just mention one more thing about uh, heating food in cans after the disaster. You can, if you have canned foods, actually just cook right there. Please be careful with the can. Make sure you have some pot holders, something that will protect your hand from the cans. But remove the label and then wash the outside of the can. And then you need to, this is another reason you need bleach, make a solution of 
one part bleach and then nine parts of water and dip that can in that water, that bleach solution, because you don't know what kind of contamination has happened on the outside of the can. Yes, that's And then open the can before heating it. You don't have to take the entire lid off, but you need to at least open it, I'd say at least a third open on the top, so heat can escape and it doesn't just sort of explode. (laughs) Because I don't really know exactly what happens to canned foods if you heat them up without opening, but... Um, well, I can tell probably you probably not a great idea. Now, I'll tell you one thing that <laughs> I have in the past taken a can of condensed milk. Okay. Thrown it in boiling water. Yeah. For a, but you uh, didn't put it on a hot fire. I didn't put, put it, it on in a boiling hot, water. I put it in boiling yes. water, but boiling water that continued to boil. Right. And uh, made a. Uh, Pretty cool caramel out of that. Just by doing that. Dolce I, de leche. Dolce, Dolce de, de leche. leche. Yeah. Yes. So, so that's pretty good. Now, listen, I, 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 let's, go, let's go ahead and next week we're going to talk about the gadgets. Oh, my gosh. And some power communications. I have so much more. Forget it. And all I, sorts of It's ridiculous how much more I have. First aid, a, just a little bit of that. Flashlights, batteries. All right, Personal well, hygiene. We're not. We didn't even touch the surface here, bud. Lighting. Well, I want to talk about, <laughs> about natural pain relief, but next week we're yeah, going to no be problem. talking about pick up there. some of the other good stuff. You got it. That you've got there, and that I'll actually check off probably I've even more about. interesting because you've got. I see you have some pretty cool items here that uh, I know you're going to want to tell our audience about. Yep, doodles. Well, let's basically go back to pain relief a little bit. We want to, mm-hmm. you know, in a long-term survival setting your limited supplies of pain meds well you know they're eventually going to run out if things last long enough they're just not making this stuff anymore right if it's a bad enough disaster and that leaves you pretty much with natural alternatives as your as your choice you know products you can find in your environment maybe grow in your garden and it's true that the level of pain relief from some of these natural substances might vary but the severity of adverse reactions are oftentimes less as well so let's discuss a few of these there's capsaicin. You've heard of capsaicin. It's an ingredient in chili peppers that decreases pain sensation by deactivating nerve receptors in the skin. Especially helpful for things like headache, muscle ache, arthritis sufferers, those people that have neuropathic pain. Remember that? We talked about that earlier. Uh, the most pain relief occurs usually, though, with regular use. And you can find capsaicin not only in chili peppers, you can find it, of course, in various types of uh, supplements or various types of uh, products on the internet. There's salicin. Salicin is the original ingredient in the first pharmaceutical that was ever pr- manufactured. That's aspirin. It's been around since the 19th century. Uh, and it can't, came from, believe it or not, the underbark of willow, aspen, and poplar trees. Uh, if you take the bark, the outer bark off a willow tree, get down to the green underbark, uh, pull off some uh, strips of that, put in a tea well you have aspirin there that gives pain relief by chewing it also you could do that uh, the thing and it will help reduce the fever as well the only problem with a lot of these things is that getting them directly from plants is you may not know exactly how much you're getting you might be getting uh, a certain amount in one year from the same tree let's say from the same willow tree then another year depends on how much maybe water how much rain there's been or or uh, certainly herbs that you grow, the soil conditions may take uh, be a factor, the time that you harvest it, all sorts of stuff. So just remember that. 
Uh, then there's Arnica, of course. Arnica is a great anti-inflammatory. It reduces swelling. It gives you discomfort from injuries to joints and muscles. I've used it myself in a salve, and it works out pretty darn good. Then there's methyl sulfonomethane, that's or MSM, and that's derived from sulfur. It's a substance that helps slow down degeneration from joint disease, especially when you combine it with glucosamine and chondroitin. You've seen supplements that contain those. Now, over the course of time, people that have osteoarthritis, degenerative arthritis, us old folks, often report very significant pain relief, and that's another option. Then there's curcumin, the herb turmeric, uh, has curcumin in it, and uh, it, inc- it increases the body's defense against inflammation. Less inflammation equals less pain, so that's another option. Uh, ginger root, tea made out of ginger root. Everybody knows that it decreases inflammation and provides pain relief generally, especially with gastrointestinal pain and cramping, so that's something else. Uh, you may not have heard of boswellia. Boswellia is an herb from India that produces certain acidic compounds that are useful for chronic pain, and uh, it's thought to produ- provide as much pain relief as many NSAIDs, so look for bos- uh, uh, supplements that contain boswellia. And also people know SAMe uh, or, or S-adonisyl, boy, I have to remember, adonisyl, adenosyl <clears throat> methionine. And that's that an amino word is acid. way too long. <laughs> I know, it's uh, an amino acid and reduces inflammation, increases the neurotransmitters in the brain that increase the sensation of well-being. Aha! And and taking this supplement long term seems to be a good way to obtain pain relief. Uh, other things that you uh, well, let's see. Wait, hold on. Oh, quercetin. I want to talk about quercetin. Flavonoid compounds that are found in na- various plants, such as onions and. Um, these may decrease inflammation. Some researchers believe that vegetarian diets do indeed limit the amount of pain experienced by those people who are really strict adherents of them. Uh, but quercetin can also be found in red wine. So might not be a bad way to feel no pain is to have a little red wine in your system. Yeah, just don't have too much. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> exactly. Now, you might be surprised, speaking of alcoholic beverages, hops, which are, made, are used in making beer, have something called isooxygenine. And this is an ingredient that has anti-inflammatory effects. And some people uh, find it comparable to ibuprofen in its effect. And so that is something that uh, you might consider. Some, oh, by the way, some people with depression do feel that it makes their depression worse. So just be careful with regards to that. Um, fish oil filled with omega fatty Omega-3 fatty acids might reduce inflammation, um, and that's something else that might be helpful. There are just a lot, of, a lot of different items that may may work. So these are things that you need to know, of course. You know, if for major discomfort, there are some very well-known and very illegal substances that are made from natural plants. Uh, opium is one derived from the seed pods of poppies. It's a highly <clears throat> addictive compound, but it does exert significant pain-killing effects, uh, and morphine and codeine and a lot of other different products, even heroin, are made from the poppy plant. And uh, you find a lot of those are grown in Afghanistan, as a matter of fact. Cocaine, of course, a well-known derivative of the coca plant in South America. Cocaine has natural anesthetic effects, was a popular painkiller for dental procedures until not very long ago. And 
things like novocaine and procaine, these mimic the effect of cocaine. Now, there's uh, something called curare, which is another <coughs> South American plant. Um, it, it was used by natives on arrows and spears to paralyze their prey. It's used today by anesthesiologists to paralyze respiratory function so that they can perform intubations for surgeries. And this is something that... Uh, is, these are just some very dangerous ways, but natural ways that people dealt with pain relief in the past. And currently, they do it so people will feel no pain. Well, I, you know, it's funny. I was just uh, drinking a nice little juice here called you were. Uh, watermelon ginger. Watermelon ginger. Watermelon ginger. And it, it ginger is good for um, decreasing inflammation and pain. And some people use it for well, not only nausea, uh-huh. but arthritis, headaches, menstrual cramps, and muscle soreness. And this juice is really cute. It says, amplify, detoxify, light up your immune system, digest this baby. Woohoo! The hydration sensation, spreading love to the nation. Our melons are con- conscientiously grown, hand-skinned, and tenderly loved. If you're thirsty, dehydrated, electrolyte-starved, uh, your electrolyte-starved cells beg for some lovin'. Crush this and rejuvenate <laughs> the watermelon waterway. <laughs> Everything but the skin. No water added. <laughs> well, there you go. So you have lots, lots of different choices. This you know, has got watermelon, lemon, and ginger. Nice combination. Well, <laughs> it actually tastes really good. Sound? It sounds like it sounds delicious. Well, guys, that is all the time we have for this episode of the Survival Medicine Hour. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll hope you'll listen in every week when that old Dr. Bones <laughs> and that young and vivacious Nurse Amy come by again to share some tips. Tips and exciting information. <laughs> Thanks again, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.